Good morning. This is the Eye on Health Show, 97.1 FM Talk, KFTK. We got me, Dr. Steve Harvey. We got Dr. Mike Jones. We have Chad on the board, and we have our very super extra special guests this morning. Yes, I'm, I'm excited. You yeah, excited? I've been looking forward to this for a long time. This I have too. Good. This this is going to be an extra good yeah. one. We've been hey, this yeah. one actually. So, like for the last several shows, it's always people uh, guests that are more up your specialty. Yes, right. yeah, mostly has been, right. But this yeah. one I actually know a little bit about. That's right, exactly. This is a non-psychiatry right, topic, a non-psychiatry <laughs> yeah. topic. Yeah. I cool. only know some of the psychiatric topics because of what you have taught me. Right, yes, yes. And the psychiatric stuff that your ophthalmology patients have. That's right, for sure, or, my, or I have myself. You know, right, right, well, that that too. I just didn't want to say that on the radio. But. You just bet you. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, uh, so, so, hey, so, so today... Uh, the, the topic is going to be type 1 diabetes, and, uh, and I, I have a close family member with type 1 diabetes that I'll talk about in just a little bit. But we're, we're going to introduce uh, uh, Emily and Derek Rapp to the station. Hey, hey say hi. Say hi, you two. Hey, hey good Emily. morning, Steve. Uh, yeah, hey, hey, yeah, yeah, all right. And Chad. So, yeah. <laughs> great to have you guys on the show. So Yeah, thanks so, so much for coming on. Yeah, we're glad for the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 these two folks, they're they're like the the super power couple for the JDRF. So M- Emily Rapp has been the, the board president of the Greater Missouri and Southern Illinois chapter of the JDRF. That's the uh, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. And uh, apparently uh, not wanting to be outdone by his wife, Derek <laughs> uh, was the president and CEO of the entire uh, JDRF uh, from 2011 uh, to 2019, uh, among, among other roles in the JDRF. So they're both very, very active in the JDRF. And they're here to talk about type 1 diabetes uh, and the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation and all of the good work that they're doing um, uh, and so, uh, which which one of you wants to start? You, uh, uh, there's many places we could start. Either you're either how is it that you, that you got involved? Yeah, sure. Let's yeah, start great. with that. Yeah. How is it that you got involved in the JDRF? Uh, this is Emily. Well, we got involved the hard way, um, <laughs> as most people do, which is uh, you have a child diagnosed with type one diabetes. First, something's wrong, and then you figure it out and then you know you you uh, think your world has come to the end to an end but the the great news first of all is when you go into the hospital which almost always has to happen with a child uh the people at the hospital don't think that the world has come to an end they say that okay this is a long-term chronic disease difficult to manage but that's what you do you manage it so we kind of took took that and for us that was 15 years ago our son uh, was in fifth grade at the time and uh, so it's a giant shock for him um, now this is not unknown in my extended family so we knew right away that JDRF was our support organization and as a matter of fact we we kind of got off right on the right foot in terms of the difference that JDRF was making because my cousins had had this since they were in diapers um, and when I was a kid. And so I knew what their life was like, which was really hard. There was uh, you you took two shots a day and you managed your entire life around um, just the. Uh, around that structure like you had to eat the same amount to eat to the shot as opposed to having any flexibility so right away in the hospital when our son was diagnosed and we heard about the way you manage it which is now you you 
um, dose yourself with insulin depending on how your exercising and eating is going during the day or if you're sick or there's a, unfortunately it's not just this mathematical formula. There's a whole lot of, of art to it as well. But yeah. already we were like, oh, this is this is better, you know, and then and and as a matter of fact, even within a year after he was diagnosed, there were some even introductions of new uh, management tools and whatever that made us think, OK, progress is being made and progress is being made from research. So that made us really gung ho about uh, JDRF as an organization as well. Mm-hmm. And then the, we also quickly found out in part because we got uh, involved right away, the community of T1D families, um, adults have T1D, kids have T1D. And T1D um, is type 1 type diabetes. diabetes. For, yes. Yeah, it used to be called uh, The ju- translator. I got yeah, that. used to be yeah. called juvenile yeah. diabetes. Yeah, yeah. 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 sharp, sharp. Yeah. Uh, yeah. used to be called juvenile diabetes, and that was because they thought that when kids got di- – it is in general true, not always 100%, but in general true that when a kid gets diabetes, it is type 1 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease, an autoimmune attack. It does not relate to the amount of sugar the person has eaten. Right. Um, yeah. Diet and exercise, as it is for anyone in the general population, is an important tool in controlling it. But it is not the reason that you got it, and it is not the way that you control it. So um, anyway, that's a, that's a, we can That's a whole other show. Yeah, Unfortunately, yeah. now, uh, you know, back in the day, yeah. When a juvenile got diabetes, that was the cause. And unfortunately, now it's just becoming more and more and so, more. So that was not the cause of juvenile diabetes. I mean, autoimmune, they, they did discover, and this is only about 40 years ago, 50 years ago, they discovered that type 1 diabetes was a separate disease. All they knew was that kids got diabetes and adults got diabetes and kids died faster. Sure. Like that, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. originally before insulin, which is now we're on the 100th anniversary of insulin, everybody died. But kids died really fast, you know. And um, so they, they had a sense that juvenile diabetes was worse. But they did finally discover that it's a separate mechanism in the body that causes the diabetes. And so, the, it's a separate and a, thing. And yeah. a, for the listeners out there, a, a type 1 diabetic does not meet the typical, um, when you think of an adult-onset diabetic, um, as you're mentioning, sugar intake and, and exercise and all of that, I think we all imagine a certain like body habitus when we think of a type 2 diabetic. Type 1 diabetics, actually the almost the exact opposite, correct? Well, uh, sometimes you lose a lot of weight when you're being diagnosed, so you come across yes. as very skinny. Right. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. In fact, half of the new cases of type 1 diabetes every year are adults. And that's a big misapprehension based huh, on, yeah. and that's why it's not wow. called juvenile diabetes half anymore. Of the new diagn- half of the new cases every How year. How do they get into adulthood without having been diagnosed. Ooh, now Derek can talk about the science because that is a very interesting thing, especially mm-hmm. given what we're now learning about the destruction process. So, you know, well, I, I don't want to jump ahead. There's a whole lot of different <laughs> yeah, topics involved in that. But um, anyway, so so we got yeah. involved with huh. JDRF right away, mm-hmm. and you learned so many tips and tricks. You know, how do you manage Halloween for a fifth grader? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, right. um, just, yeah. just what's, what about a birth? birthday parties, you know, so you want to be um, following sort of all the rules they teach you in the hospital, but at, of spending the night. Now, we've got some technologies, that, again, improving all mm-hmm. these things, but um, the, the, the love and support you get from other 
parents and, and then as an adult. Okay, so when you're a kid and you're diagnosed, your parents are there hovering by your bedside. They're managing the shots at first. They're reordering all your prescription. You're diagnosed as a 27-year-old. We have friends whose kid was diagnosed. He's living in a frat house in college, you know, yeah. and then he's over 18, so HIPAA won't allow his parents to be called. So he's just sort of sent back to the frat house with some needles and a bottle of insulin and huh. some vague instructions that come back in a week. Like wow. that's a really right. isolating place to be. So, you know, getting involved as, as an adult when you're diagnosed can be really helpful. Then you might have a spouse who's blaming you. Like, I told you not to eat that because they have not yeah, gotten the training right, because they're not part right. of it, you know. So yeah. so really, as as parents, you can get a tremendous support, but as an adult, you can get a tremendous support. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 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 so we're going to talk a whole lot about type 1 diabetes and the JDRF, and uh, we'll be back after these messages. Okay. So, so, so we're back. 97.1 FM Talk. This is the Eye on Health Show uh, with me, Dr. Steve Harvey, Dr. Mike Jones, and we have the Raps here. And we're talking about type 1 diabetes. Uh, type 1 diabetes and the good work that's being done by the JDRF, which is the uh, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. And uh, before we jump into this, so so one thing is uh, I, I knew the Raps previously because each of us has a kid with type 1 diabetes. So so my own kid got type 1 diabetes uh, about 11 years ago, and I remember that really well. She had been losing weight. She was really thirsty. She needed to drink a lot. And, uh, and finally, you know, as, as a, even though my specialty is, psychi- is psychiatry, it dawned on me like, oh, crud, this looks like type 1 diabetes. So uh, we, we, we took her into the doctor, and she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And there was one part of me that said, Woohoo! I was right. Yeah, right. And then there's another part that says, "Oh crud! I was right." <laughs> right. <laughs> and right. that's uh, yeah. And and at the time, you know, the raps, um, um, uh, a classmate of uh, same school, different yep. Yep. age range, but uh, we are, already knew the raps, and they gave us a call and helped us out and everything. So so we we share that in common. And I, and I certainly remember, uh, you know, the very first day that my kid was diagnosed with type one diabetes, and even at the age of ten, she said something like. You know, diabetes, is is that the thing where you have to take a shot every day or you die? It's like, yeah, that's that kind of is. And that's and you know, for, from then on out, you know, every every meal is a math problem yep. and everything revolves <laughs> yeah. around uh, uh, insulin and I mean things have gotten way, way better. Uh, you know, and partly things have gotten better thanks to the good work of the of the JDRF and, and the research that they've helped uh, helped to push along. So let, let's start here with uh, with Derek. Uh, former president and CEO of of the JDRF, can you talk to us about uh, uh, about uh, type one diabetes in general, and then um, tell us about the JDRF? Sure, Steve. Well, first, and by the way, you mentioned uh, our yeah. support of you uh, at, yeah. at your daughter's diagnosis. Yeah. As Emily mentioned earlier, this is an, a, you know a community yeah. that really supports one another. We're all there for each other, just as I'm sure you've been for other families along the way, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so type 1 diabetes, as you heard, is a, an autoimmune disease. There are, gosh, I don't know how many autoimmune diseases, but some of the ones that particularly people think about and hear about uh, include, uh, in no particular order, but lupus and psoriasis and rheumatoid arthritis and celiac and Crohn's disease and hyperthyroid, hypothyroid. Uh, in fact, most of the diseases I just mentioned uh, are in our family also. And, and huh. that's important because there is a pretty high correlation among a lot of the autoimmune diseases. Uh, and so uh, people often ask, is this a genetic 
disorder? And the answer is only in part. Uh, but certainly genetics play a role in terms of having a person end up having an autoimmune disease such as type 1 diabetes. But there are other factors, too. Uh, Mike, you were asking earlier, so, you know, what leads to this happening? I'd be happy to talk about that a little bit if you want, not yeah. to turn this into a lecture. But uh, <laughs> uh, so with uh, I, I often talk uh, with groups about the three strikes that lead to type 1 diabetes. And the first strike, in fact, is genetics. An interesting statistic, we know that for identical twins where one has type 1 diabetes, 50, 5-0% of the time, the other identical twin also has type 1 diabetes. Mm. So that tells you that uh, there's obviously a significant genetic component, but since it's not 100%, it tells you that genetics are not the whole story. What else is going on? So strike two is that we look at the way a person's immune system is trained or oriented. And I realize that might sound a little bit abstract the way I just said it, so let me explain. Um, we live... Uh, in, in a world here in the States where things are very clean and, you know, we eat clean food and drink clean water and, uh, you know, we're not exposed to a lot of infections that say we would have been exposed to a few hundred years ago or that people are exposed to or that are living in, in less developed parts of the world. And that's significant because it means that we have immune systems that are uh, less informed about what's good and what's bad. And, and so an autoimmune disease is, is where a person's body gets, an immune system gets tricked, confused, and ends up attacking and destroying a part of that person's body directly. Uh, and so we, with our uh, less sophisticated, if you will, immune systems, are more apt to have our immune systems tricked. So if you look, for example, the cleanest place in the world, uh, practically, is Finland, and the highest incidence of type 1 diabetes huh. in the world is, you guessed it, Finland. Wow. Uh, huh. That is Did not, not a coincidence. That. Wow. Whereas yeah. people who are living... Very close by uh, in Russia, uh, across the border, same genetics in their population, same climate. They are six times less likely to develop type 1 diabetes wow. than the people who are living across the border in Finland. Wow. So we need a dirtier environment, wow. basically. As it pertains to autoimmunity, yeah. that's probably right. Is that yeah. true for huh. all autoimmune diseases? It is. All of them? It is. Huh. Um, uh, yes. Uh, or at least, well, yeah. or at least a lot of them that are in the same cluster okay, genetically, yeah, the, sure, the sure. ones that I listed before. It's definitely true for them. Huh. So huh. then that takes us to strike three in terms of what causes type 1 diabetes. And, Mike, you would ask the question, so why is it that a person maybe doesn't develop a, a type 1 until as an adult? Emily has an aunt who was diagnosed in her 40s and an uncle in his 50s. And I've heard people diagnosed as late as in their late 70s. And uh, so, you know, w what causes that to happen? Well, strike three is some bout of stress in the person that, uh, that, that for some reason causes that person's immune system to get amped up. In many cases, that's a virus, an illness, of, an sure, infection, yeah. something like mm -hmm. that. And for most of us who don't have strikes one and two, our immune systems then calm back down after we have cleared ourselves of whatever that, that, that situation is, the virus or whatever. But unfortunately for a person who has the predisposition caused by type one and type two, their immune system stays amped up and you know, put in a simple way, it looks for something else to do. And for people with type 1 diabetes, that's something else to do mm -hmm. is to go attack and destroy the cells that produce insulin. They're called beta cells. And when, the, when enough of the beta cells are, are destroyed, then the person no longer is producing enough insulin in order to, uh, to, to be self-sufficient. And that's when the person starts to need the insulin injections. Yeah. And those beta cells are in the pancreas, for those of you oh, who yes, are exactly interested. Right. Yes, exactly uh -huh. yes. yes. right. So, but 50% of the new diagnoses are adults. Right. Uh, and in case you're wondering, that is a higher figure than it used to be. Yeah. But clearly, at least part of that 
is because of problems with diagnosis. In fact, the majority of people who are diagnosed as adults with type 1 diabetes are first misdiagnosed as having type 2 diabetes. Uh, uh Uh, And then eventually when the doctor and the patient realize, well, this person isn't, you know, is still struggling with with type 2 diabetes, then they eventually test and they realize, oh, you know what? This person actually has the indicators for type 1, type 2. Wow. Huh. And um, are there blood tests that you can do to rule this out? Yeah, there are uh, that, unfortunately, are not used as routinely, in some cases, as we would like to see them. But, uh, but yes, you can screen two ways. One is you can screen for something called C-peptide, which uh, is a protein that is expressed alongside of insulin. Mm-hmm. So you know how much insulin a person is expressing by looking at the amount of C-peptide. And then the second is you can actually screen for a biomarker, which is a, a set of autoantibodies uh, that are a way of telling that the body is, in fact, trying to fight the cells that uh, produce the insulin. It's um, For some of these autoimmune diseases, some of these blood tests have very high um, false negative rates and, you know, they're not always, you know, a, a absolutely conclusive. Um, how is it with, with the, these markers for uh, type 1 diabetes? Are these tests pretty good, or is there a chance you could miss one, or is there a chance it could have a false positive and overdiagnose? Yeah, I think it's more that uh, some people, for some reason, even with type 1 diabetes, don't express those yeah. autoantibodies. Yeah. Uh, and we're still trying to understand why that yeah. is, to be honest with you. Uh, the C-peptide is a very good test. Okay. So uh, in, just for people who aren't familiar... Um, Type two diabetics, type two diabetics still make um, insulin. I mean, still make insulin, right? Mm-hmm. They just are insulin resistant, right. where they need more than they make. So their yeah. C peptide would be high because they're making they're insulin. Making it. Yeah. yeah, type exactly. one diabetes with the cells being destroyed by the immune system, you're not making any or nearly enough, and so that's why the C peptide test is so yeah. accurate for type one versus yeah, type yeah. two. And, and and that's probably just an overall point that's, that that's worth repeating is that, you know, I think. When people think of diabetes, I think the general public is usually is picturing type two diabetes. Yes. You know, an, an older person who you know takes pills for their blood sugar and needs to not yes. eat so many sugary things. Type one diabetes is less common than, than type two, but also on average more more difficult to manage and starts starts at a younger age. And, it's, right. and as far as the physiology, as far as the cause of the condition, it's it's an, it's an entirely separate condition. Right. So give you a couple numbers. Yeah. We estimate that probably between a million and a quarter and a million and a half people in the U.S. have type 1 diabetes. Mm. Okay. And probably north of 30 million yeah. people have type 2 sure. diabetes. Mm. And mm-hmm. if we talk about pre-diabetes, I've seen numbers yeah. as high yeah, as right. 75, I think, million people in the U.S. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so it's a it's a very, very large and unfortunately growing percentage. Yeah, mm. and that's a more of a lifestyle, a lot of times, a lifestyle problem, which is why it's becoming more and more common. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, that's true. Yeah. But of course, we know genetics, again, sure. are a big factor for type 2 diabetes as well. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you know, it, there are a lot of challenges. One thing I don't ever want us to do is, I'm not saying you were, but is, is to, to in any way judge or whatever people who are dealing with one another of these challenges. Uh, we all are facing all kinds of challenges and we have to mm-hmm. get through life as well as we possibly can. If, if type 1 diabetes um, can run in this same group as other mm-hmm. autoimmune conditions, 
Do you think if you're diagnosed with one of these other autoimmune conditions, should they at least run maybe a C-peptide? Is it like an outrageously expensive test to run? Or? No. I, I mean, I, not that I understand anyway. Yeah. Uh, so good question. Uh, a couple of numbers there. Uh, I like I like data. And by the way, I may have walked you into a trap because we're running up again. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so here's what I want you to do. Yeah. I want you to think about the answer. Yes. And that way, when we come back from this break, it might be the greatest answer we've ever had. Because right? right. you're going to have a couple of yeah. minutes to think yeah. about yeah. this. Set up. But, 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 but our expectations have been inflated, yeah. so <laughs> you're probably going to lose in the long run. So stay tuned. We're, gonna... We're back. 97.1 FM Talk. This is the Ion Health Show. We have Derek and Emily Rapp here talking about type 1 diabetes and uh, the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. So just a quick uh, Quick recap is, you know, so type 1 diabetes is is different than type 2 diabetes, is different than the diabetes that makes up the majority of people with diabetes. Uh, in type 1 diabetes, it's it's the immune system attacking uh, part of the pancreas, the part of the pancreas that makes insulin, and uh, uh, onset is often in childhood as opposed to, to when you're older. So it's an entirely different illness than, than uh, the other people with diabetes. And there's a lot of uh, progress that's been made. Yeah, we should have left the mics on because the good conversation happened during yeah. the commercial break. It did. It Which, did. If for me, was good uh, because the more I'm understanding from you about how this is an autoimmune-related condition, um, for all types of autoimmune diseases, what we all know is it's uh, we don't know a lot about them, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. We're learning more and more, and there's good medicines that are coming out. So sure. if I'm putting two and two together, if you were to do a blood test at age two and maybe pick up on some of these markers, mm-hmm. is it not possible that at some point in the future we could treat that person with some sort of autoimmune treatment to prevent their immune system from attacking their beta cells and maybe heading this off at the pass? Can we not see that that maybe is a road that we could get to in the future? Well, in fact, uh, and it's not only autoimmune treatments, there are various approaches that we are working on that will, we hope, either protect those cells that produce insulin, the beta cells, or to calm down the immune system. And so the answer is yes. In fact, uh, and why don't you talk about it, uh, our son who participated in the clinical trial just that way? Yes. So, you know, we have a son who has type 1 diabetes. And so uh, one thing that's available to everyone that's uh, currently it's available in clinical trials. So it's for people who have a first what's called a first degree relative with type 1, which in our case was a sibling. But your parent, if you have a parent with type 1, something like that, a cousin, um, then you can get the other people screened for these antibodies that show up when the autoimmune attack has begun. But you're not at a tipping point yet. So we don't, you know, one of the things we don't know, this immune attack seems to uh, progress at different rates in different people. So maybe 2%, 3% of your islet cells are, have been destroyed, yeah. but you still got enough. You're still making enough insulin. So nobody knows you have the beginnings of this disease. So anyway, we had our other two kids screened and one of them, we got the letter back saying, oh yeah, she's fine. That's great. And then the other one, we didn't get the letter. We didn't get the letter. And finally I called in. Oh, oh yeah, sorry. So anyway, um, mm. uh, 
he had the antibodies, and then we were able to say, okay, so what can we do about this? And this was the great thing about knowing he had antibodies, was then you can say, There's, if, if I can do anything to either slow or stop. At, the, at this point, our son was 11, and I thought, man, if we can get him to 10th grade, you know, he's just a little sure. more the age yeah. of reason without type 1, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Well, I'm so delighted to tell you, he is 22 years old, and he does not have type 1 diabetes yet the way it's currently defined, which means he doesn't have to take insulin. Like anyone, he has to get exercise. He has to eat healthily. That's what we all have to do. So he's doing that, and he maybe has a little extra motivation to do it. But one thing is we found a clinical trial we could enroll him in, and he was in that for seven years. It was just right here at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Um, he went in every six months, and he took a pill every morning. <laughs> and, and that, you know, that – and he – got paid 50 bucks every time he went in. So he thought this was the greatest job. Yeah, you got to love clinic. Yeah. Get me in on that. So, uh, so anyway, we, we're, we were thrilled to be able to do that. That trial has ended, but now, you know, there are different clinical trials. So it's, it's an extra motivation for, you know, why you might get your first degree relative screened. JDRF has been working then on some um, efforts and in, in, in parts of Germany, it's working in Colorado. Derek, you might want to talk about those uh, efforts. Sure, broad population universal screens. screening. Right, yeah. exactly. So, uh, through work that's been done through JDRF funding, we now are understanding what's happening in broader population sets for kids. And we're able to track these children over long periods of time, understand what are the risk factors, what's the incidence of people starting to show the, the, the biomarkers, these autoantibodies that uh, will help a physician know that this person's at risk. Uh, that's helping us understand the disease, but it's also helping us do better for these people today. So a frightening statistic that we talked about during the break is that 40, 40 percent of people who are diagnosed with type 1 diabetes are in what's called diabetic ketoacidosis at the time of their diagnosis. Which, which is bad news. Sick. Bad this news. This is scary yep. stuff. This is where uh, the because the person has lost the ability to transport the the, the carbohydrates, the glucose, into the tissues for energy, uh, the energy, the uh, body is now starting to actually break down tissues in the body. First, it's breaking down fat, which is why a person gets thinner when the person's for, uh, first being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes pretty typically, but then also muscle and then even organ tissue. And, uh, and at some point, the body really can't recover from that. Uh, it's called DKA, or again, mm -hmm. diabetic ketoacidosis. Um, and for, as I said, 40% of people at the time of uh, diagnosis with type 1 are in DKA. Uh, and, and that's very serious stuff. Whereas if we can monitor these people and know they're doing well, we can take that percentage down to just a few percent. Yeah. So that alone is a great reason to be screening and watching these people. But additionally, we do believe that there are different therapies. Uh, in fact, what well, we just and when I were just in a research meeting this week and heard that six or seven different approaches now have been validated in clinical testing, still in, in trials, not commercially available broadly, but to shown at least multiple years of delay for type 1 diabetes. Which, oh, excellent. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And then you asked a question at the break about disease modulating. Um, is that disease modifying? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. That's the right yeah. word. Um, it, I didn't it, say anything that fancy, but she's, <laughs> she's rewording what I so said. I, so I think there are um, 10 auto, you know, the top 10 autoimmune diseases. Diabetes is what, fourth? Biggest and uh, we heard this this <laughs> sure. week, and and um, it's one of only two for which there are no disease modulating. So so there are 
In other autoimmune diseases now, they have discovered uh, ways to interfere with that autoimmune process. The danger on the immune system, of course, is you can't shut the whole damn thing, darn right. thing down because mm-hmm. um, that would, um, you know, that that has so many, many, many bad sure. effects. Yeah. So you have to be careful to be shutting down only the thing that's doing the, you know, doing the bad disease thing. work, right? Yeah. So, and in, in, in type 1 diabetes, that's what they're working to figure out. But the sooner you can get it, to Derek's point on DKA, the sooner you can realize that it's happening and stop it, um, then the more beta cell function you can preserve, the easier your management is, the longer the disease takes to progress, and the fewer complications. There's one thing type 1 and type 2 have in common is complications. Same effects of high blood sugar on the body. So, um, And specifically, those include, of course, uh, vision loss, uh, lower extremity uh, uh, amputation, kidney failure, uh, second leading cause of heart disease. Heart disease, heart disease right. Uh, you know, on and on. So my question was, um, yeah, in right. a type 1 diabetic, the your immune system is attacking beta cells. It's going gonna, it's gonna to damage enough of those that eventually um, you're not making enough insulin to keep yourself healthy. So right. m- one of my questions was, okay, if you've already reached that threshold point and you're diagnosed with type 1, right. Are there are there these new autoimmune medications? It yes. seems like I'll see a patient every week who's got one of these autoimmune diseases. They're yep. you know relatively common, and they're on a medicine I've never heard of because it's literally brand new. Right. What role are these yep. medicines going to play to maybe stop more beta cell destruction, or yes. is there any chance of reversal? The answer is uh, there is a role, and I'll describe that, and the answer is yes to your second question. Yeah. So uh, among the six or seven therapies that have been shown now to at least meaningfully delay type 1 diabetes, some of them are in uh, by, through use of autoimmune disease drugs from other autoimmune diseases. Uh, you know, In fact, some of the largest selling drugs in the world right now, period, are autoimmune yeah. disease drugs. So uh, drugs such as Alephacept and Abatacept uh, are, are ones that have now been shown are delaying type 1 diabetes. Um, and, uh, and antibodies such as teplizumab uh, is another one, which I realize these are not exactly household names for right. folks at home. Except you <laughs> but, see uh, them advertised on TV. Yeah. Yeah. You Unbelievable. You do. Yeah. So yeah. The, the psoriasis yeah. drugs, rheumatoid yeah. arthritis yeah. drugs, things like that. Uh, now, we would like to find a drug, as Emily said, that is more targeted to the beta cell sure. function if we can and not something that is affecting the entire immune system. Because when we suppress the entire immune system, that has other implications sure. and uh, sure. people are going to have their other worries for sure. Uh, so, therefore, we're trying to find that right balance between, on the one hand, a finding a way to reduce the effects of type 1 diabetes but still have that person's immune system, because we all need an immune system, to stay active and do the things that it needs to do. Uh, you also asked a question about uh, the, the, the correlation among autoimmune diseases. And so I'll mention that just a bit. That was, in fact, the one you set me up for right before the yeah. break. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, so uh, <laughs> 28% of people who have type 1 diabetes have a second autoimmune disease. 8% of people who have type 1 have two or more autoimmune diseases, uh, in, in addition to type 1. I mean, within families, we think it's at least 70% of families that have type 1 diabetes have another autoimmune disease in them. So... Is there a correlation? Yeah. You bet. Sure, for sure. And, yeah. and therefore, uh, people with type 1 are typically being tested for some other autoimmune diseases every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, celiac is a very common one, for, for example, to be tested. Thyroid uh, function is another one to be tested for. Conversely, if a person has celiac or thyroid issues or whatever, they're likely being screened periodically for a number of these other autoimmune diseases too. Yeah. In, in 
one of the things um, I really wanted to talk about was not just the treatment, um, those sorts of technologies, but what about the the treat the technologies with insulin and um, yeah. that's gotten much better. Oh my gosh, yes. Mm-hmm. Which is why Steve's daughter and our yeah. son and and everybody are leading such higher quality and easier lives now, less stress, less burden than was the case back at the times of their diagnoses, as Emily mentioned. Yeah, and so better blood sugar, too. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so when our son was first diagnosed, and, and for heaven's sakes, he was 10. When Think about when you have a two-year-old. We would set our alarm randomly in, for the middle of the night to wake up and test his blood sugar. Sure. And then suppose it's low, then you'd like feed sugar into his mouth and he's still sleeping. And then I would climb onto the top bunk and set the alarm for 45 more minutes and then check it again. So he had to come yeah. up enough, you know, and you would do that uh, all the time. If he was yeah. sick, if he had gotten a lot of exercise, if thousands he just was of times we got up in the night. To sure. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. many times. And I'm and, sure for you too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and now uh, believe me, it's still really huge worry and an issue for uh, people with, especially the youngest kids with type yeah. one. But um, there is a, this thing called continuous glucose monitor uh, if you have access to that technology, it tells you your. It's something you have to wear on your body. I mean, no one picks to wear this if they don't have to. But uh, you have it inserted under your skin, and you can get a readout on your phone that tells you what your um, what your blood sugar is every five minutes, and it tells you what direction it's going. Is it is it a decent number, but going down really fast? Well, then yeah. you can't go to bed with it like that. And I know we're about to go to a break, and not just uh, your own phone or whatever, but also the phone of your loved ones, your, your parents. Companions. <laughs> right. Right. And it can yeah. be next so, to yeah. their bed yeah. and set an alarm that will ring when the blood sugar has gone too low. Too so low. then the parents yeah. don't have to randomly get up. Great stuff. Wow. Anyway. So, so we'll be back soon. Yeah, yeah, so we'll be back soon. So, so when we come back, we're going to ask the big question. Where's the cure? Yep. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We want to have uh, are we there are yet? Are we there yet? We've been waiting. Are we there yet? Okay. So we'll be back. Eye on Health, 97.1. 97.1 FM Talk, Eye on Health Show. We're here with uh, Derek and Emily Rapp, and we're talking, and we're rapping about, hey, we're oh, rapping about. First time I've ever no heard that. No one has ever <laughs> thought of that before. No one's <laughs> ever thought of that before, yes. I am the first person to think of that joke, I'm sure. Put that on your CV. I, I will good. put that's that good. on my CV. I wonder what they do too. with Mike's last name. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yes, yeah. So we're talking about type 1 diabetes, and we're talking about the JDRF, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, and uh, all of the good work that they do. And uh, so as we're, uh, as we're in the last segment here, I think what we really want to know yep. is, uh, where's the cure? I mean, we've been, my, my kids had this for about 11 years. Sure. And uh, can we hurry up? Or how's, can you, <laughs> you bet. Can you give them a phone call and tell them to make it faster? Or how, how's this, how does this go? I, I, well, actually, I moved to New York a bunch yes. of years ago in order to work to make it go yes. faster. Yes, you did. And yes. uh, I'm pleased to say that, that JDRF is an organization that is fully committed to curing and preventing type 1 diabetes. Make no mistake, uh, JDRF is the world's largest funder of diabetes research except for the government. And our work will not end until we truly have cured type 1 diabetes. Now, let me start by saying it's not going to be a cure. It's going to be cures, plural. This is a heterogeneous disease. There are different versions of type 1 diabetes. We understand that increasingly. Uh, The disease presents itself in different ways in different people, and it's going to take different solutions in order to make it go away. Um, Additionally, what constitutes a cure in one person's mind might not be the same as what as a cure for someone else anyway. When we talk about curing type 1 diabetes, there are two things we have to do. The first is we need to stop 
the destruction of the cells that produce insulin, these beta cells, as we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And the second is we need to make sure that the person has enough of those cells. By the time a person develops type 1 diabetes, they've had too many of those cells already destroyed in their bodies. Mm -hmm. So you have to replenish the supply, either by having the body manufacture some additional cells or by bringing those cells externally into the person in order to uh, beef up the, the count so that we can get back to having that person producing enough insulin. There have been a couple of strategies already uh, used uh, for replacing some of the cells. For example, from cadavers, you can right. literally get mm -hmm. the islet cells. You bet. But, uh, two issues, just like with a liver transplant or any other kind of transplant, you have to then have uh, immune-suppressing drugs the rest of your life. No one wants to put their kid on that just to, just to cure them from type 1. But the other thing is this immune attack continues so that if you do that replacement, it, a few years later, you're back on insulin, you're back in the same. Boat. So that's why Derek says there's a two pieces. One is stopping that immune attack, and then the other is re having the person's body regenerate or replace those yeah, cells. Yeah. And, and as I understand it, the, the beta cells, you know, the, the cells of the pancreas that uh, produce insulin, I think it's only like a couple of grams worth of beta cells. It's a very small yeah, amount. It's, yeah. a, it's a small amount of stuff Absolutely right. that needs correct. to be replaced. Yeah. So, so let's talk about these two steps yeah. that I talked about. The first yeah. is, again, the stopping the destruction of those cells. Yeah. Well, actually, when we were talking earlier about uh, these various uh, immunotherapies uh, to suppress the immune system, uh -huh. that's going to help prevent the disease, but it's also going to take us to that first step, the stopping the destruction of the cells. So as I said, we've already discovered a number of approaches that we believe will take us to that first step, the, the, the calming down of the immune system. Mm -hmm. And that's very exciting. Interestingly, we actually thought that would perhaps be the harder of the two things to do. Uh, but, uh, but the progress that's been made in recent years, and by the way, that's partly because of the progress that's been made in immunotherapy research in cancer. Uh, the overlap among research in different diseases, including cancer, has been excellent. And so we're learning among these different diseases all the time. The second uh, thing then, though, is we have to, as I said, replenish the supply. And, and that can either come through uh, islet transplants uh, that, uh, as Emily mentioned, require right now rejection, anti-rejection medicine. But if we can find a way to do that without needing anti-rejection medicine, and there's some approaches we are funding to make that happen, that will be very exciting. And then the second is... Uh, if we can have a device uh, implanted in, in a person's body that will protect or hide those cells from the immune attack, but allow the, the, the cells living in it to go ahead and produce insulin that reaches the, body, the bloodstream and then helps a person stay in range in terms of glucose levels all the time. Oh. And, and all of these things that I've described are in human trials right now. And uh, by the way, little shout out to WashU uh, med school researchers because yep. JDRF funds things internationally and they just look for the best projects, uh, not focused on particularly where those projects are happening. But in terms of replacement cells and in this uh, harvesting of the islet cells, we have two experts at WashU who are doing some of the best work in the country with Dr. Millman and Dr. Inanue. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of spoiled yeah. where we where we live. Absolutely here. right. Right, and yeah. great clinical trial access here too. Yeah, yeah, but don't call right. their offices because they can't do that for you, so <laughs> yeah. it's not ready. Yeah, there's so, so much to ask, and unfortunately, we're getting yeah. running out of time. Yeah. Real quick, if there's a quick answer to this, yep. what about um, replacement with these cells that we call pluripotent cells mm -hmm. that can turn into anything? Like when we're talking about stem cells or or amniotic cells that can turn into other cells versus taking an actual islet cell from another human being 
What about that? The progress <laughs> in this area is so great. I know we got to go fast. So I'll just say that uh, there's a guy up in uh, at Harvard named Doug Melton, and one of his protégés is the guy here that Emily was referring to, Jeff Millman at WashU. And, uh, and, and they are starting with different types of cells and turning them into insulin-producing cells that are glucose-responsive, functioning, insulin-producing cells. They can start with even a person's own, say, skin cell Great, right. and turn it into eventually uh, a, a cell that will do the job as an islet or a beta cell. And awesome then not stuff. require immune system there you manipulation go. If you made it yourself, it's from your own body. Right, right. Exactly. So this is why it's a solution yeah. that everyone's very oh, excited yeah. about. So we have to say three things that you can do and three things that JDRF does. We have yeah. not yeah, even talked that. about advocacy, but working to yes. get access to all these things and to continue the government level of research happens through JDRF. So easy to do that, free to do that, takes one minute to do yeah. that. Go on the JDRF website to look how to sign up. Yep. Uh, giving money, giving money, giving money. <laughs> and right. then sign up for clinical trials, go on that clinical trials yeah. connection on the JDRF website and look and see if what you are qualified for. Yeah, yeah. So, so to help out with the JDRF, number one is give money. Number two is if you have relatives with type one diabetes to, or, or if you have, or if you have type one diabetes get yourself, them screened. Get, yeah, get them screened and, and participate in the trials. Yep. How can they find those trials? So uh, if 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 you go, if you just Google JDRF clinical trials connection. You go right to the page. You answer a handful of very easy questions, and out will pop a list of the trials for which a person is eligible. Yeah. So money trials. What was the other thing again? Advocacy. advocacy. Adv- yeah, advocacy. Right. Really that, important. That too. Really yes, important. Yes. Yes. Do that too. So, um, <laughs> this was awesome. Um, not enough time. Thank not you very enough much. time. For us. And yeah, Long so glad us. you guys could be here. So yeah, we got, we got yeah. More thank, to say. thank yeah. you. Out we go. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs>